find your way to your seats. Sorry, I know you were having fun. I love being part of a church that loves one another, so that's a good thing. Um, my name's Matt Brocker, as uh, Irv just told you. Um, Happy New Year. Everybody having a good New Year so far, hopefully? Um, I, I want to be the first also to wish you a happy Manuary. This, you don't know what Manuary is. Okay, so you got to reverse, you got to go back to the, the No Shave November. Have you all heard of No Shave November? Okay. Well, guys, we'll, we'll, they'll stop shaving, much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, I did that in November, and, and I just looked like a mess, right? Not that I look much better today, but I kind of just looked like a guy who didn't shave for four weeks. So, you know, that, that has to roll into Decembeard. Got to, right? So you got to keep it going because it's supposed to get cold in Ohio. One of these days it will, really. And, you know, not only do these look cool, they're actually kind of warm. So Decembeard is very important, and that obviously rolls into Manuary, which is what we're enjoying now. And then post-Manuary, you've got to have February, right? <laughs> and that's actually, that's actually my buddy Tom Steele after November. <laughs> and I'm jealous, okay? I'm jealous. I tease because I'm jealous. All right. And, and of course, you know, after that, if, if you're not ready to, it's not always warm, you've, you've got March stash. And then, you know, we're starting to get into spring, and, and you know the Geico ape man, he can, he can rock April, right? <laughs> we know he's not real, but he's got a pretty sweet beard, so hopefully by then, you know, I'll look at least that good, right? All right, so we're, we're talking about Manuary, we're wishing each other a happy Manuary, and as you can see on your study guide, on your study sheet, uh, we're going to talk about waging war. We're going to talk about manly stuff. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Uh, so obviously every Christian, men and women alike, experience spiritual warfare. If, if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you know that all your problems didn't just go away. They didn't just disappear. All right. So last week, Cale, Cale did an awesome job sharing about peace. Uh, from John ch- chapter 16, verse 33. I think we'll have it up on the board there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. All right, he's overcome the world. He's overcome the, the wicked one, and we can have peace. We, can, we have that as a guarantee. But we see in 2 Timothy that as followers of Christ, we're in a warfare. All right, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So men and women alike, as Christians, we're soldiers in a battle. All right, and before we get to the most important battle, we've got to talk about the daily battles, the struggles that, that Paul described in Romans chapter 7, the most frustrating things about life, Right? Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, it dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. All right, the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do those. 
The things I know I'm not supposed to do, I find myself doing that stuff. It's driving me crazy is what Paul's saying. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members, in my body, it's in my flesh. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law, but with the flesh the law of sin. So here we are, and it's not easy, and it's frustrating, and and it's cyclical sometimes, and you, you feel like, man, this is maddening, and just like Paul, you cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I keep struggling with the same things? It's driving me nuts. How do I get over this? That's the battle, right? That's the battle. We can have peace in this battle, but it's not just a peace that comes. You've got to fight for this one. You've got to conquer the enemy in this battle. All right, so in recognition of that battle, we're going to go to the first battle that was ever documented in, in uh, the Scripture, the first war. It's in Genesis chapter 14, if you want to turn there. We'll get into the details here in just a second, but... Uh, Before we start reading in Genesis 14, I need to to catch us up. Genesis 12 starts with a man named Abram. And Abram is a man of God. He loves God. He's faithful. He follows what God tells him to do. And God tells him to go. God doesn't tell him where to go. He just says go. And Abram's faithful enough. He says, you know what? God told me to go. I heard that. I assume by faith that he's going to tell me to stop when it's time to stop. Or he's going to tell me to turn when it's time to turn. But God's only instructions were were to go. And Abram faithfully went. And Lot, his nephew, followed behind him. That brings us to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis 13, Abram and and Lot, his name eventually becomes Abraham. So if I say one or the other, you'll know. Same guy, right? Um, Abram and Lot, they go to Egypt because of a famine. And they come back to what will eventually be the promised land of Canaan. And they realize they're too rich. They have too many cattle, they have too many herdsmen, too many servants and workers to survive on the same land, and the guys that work for them are starting to fight, and they don't have enough grass for for their cattle, so Abe says, hey, you know what, Lot, if you want to go to the left hand, I'll go ahead and go to the right, or or if you prefer the right hand, I'll go to the left, whatever you want, I'll pick the opposite, let's let's separate here, go our separate ways, and, and we'll see if that doesn't resolve this issue. In Lot, we find in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, obviously, most of us are familiar with that name, Sodom. It says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. All right, so Lot sets himself towards the sinful place. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 14. I was going to read the whole thing, but let's start in uh, chapter, or verse 7 for time's sake. And we'll read together here. So Genesis 14, 7. And they returned and came to Enmishpat. And, and I'm going to try my best with these names. Some of them are tough. Uh, which is Kadesh and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites and dwelt in Hazazan Tamar. Um, <clears throat> and there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zor, 
and they joined battle with them in the Vale of Siddim. So there's five kings there, with Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, with Tidal, king of nations, with Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar. Four kings with five. So there's four kings against five. Verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, and dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eschol, the brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them. He killed them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. And of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavi, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons. And take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. All right, let's go ahead and pray before we get into the details of what this means. Father, thank you so much for the things you've taught me through this lesson, through um, figuring out how to battle, how to fight, how we do this thing that needs slaughtered like these enemies. We struggle with our flesh, and, and we, didn't, we need an answer, Lord, and we need uh, to know what your word has to say, and we, we come to you trusting that you have that answer. We come to you Submitting to whatever you have to say before you say it. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we need to notice is on your study sheet. The first thing that we'll learn from this war is that battles are a part of life. We've kind of already said that, right? And the first example of battle that we see or the kind of battles that we get ourselves into is from the example of Lot. These are the self-inflicted ones. How many of you have ever done anything stupid and then had all kinds of pain to deal with and frustration to deal with because of your own decisions. That's the world Lot was living in. Back in Genesis 13, we read, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. This is very significant. What we need to realize is that Sodom is a picture of sin in this story, right? It's a place where people feed their flesh. It's a place where it was well-known that if you wanted to do anything to please your flesh, you could you just do whatever you want. Right? There's no rules. You just please you. Right? It's anarchy. It's a mess. So this place of Sodom represents sin. And Romans 13, 14 says, 
But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. All right, so am I making it easier, is, is the point. Am I making it easier for myself to sin, or am I making it more difficult? Am I making it easier for my flesh to win by giving myself opportunity to fail? Am I making provision for the flesh? That's what Lot did, right? Lot gave himself every opportunity to fail. He set himself toward sin. Let's see how that worked out for him. Genesis 14, the chapter we're in now, verse 12, it says, and they took Lot after they defeated the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah in the slime pits and sent him to the mountains. Abram's brother's son, it says, who dwelt in Sodom. So if this place is the picture of sin, and he's, he set himself towards sin, now he's living in sin, and what happened to him? He's been taken captive by his enemies because he started towards sin. Right? He, he was just looking at it. It's not going to hurt me to look, right? And then he was in sin. And then he was taken captive because of his choices. So his example is that poor choices, especially when it comes to sin, are going to take you into captivity every time. The principle is this. If you set yourself towards sin, you will end up in sin, and you will be taken captive by the enemy. It's a guarantee. It will happen. So Abraham is our next example. Letter B, life happens. (laughs) Sometimes you're on the other hillside, and you don't even know the battle's there until the, the messenger comes and says, hey, man, your nephew Lot, he messed up. <laughs> he needs your help. Abram wasn't living towards sin. He was doing what God had told him. He was, he was continuing to be obedient. He was continuing to be faithful to God and what God had told him to do. But sometimes life just happens and sometimes temptations and difficulties come our way, don't they? All right, so it says in Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Abram has the right response. The proper reaction on your sheet is to fight. Right? When, when temptation comes, you need to fight. This is exactly what Abram did. Again, verse 14, when Abram heard his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, he born in his house, 318, pursued them unto Dan, He divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, which means he killed them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. And the kings that were with him at the Valley of Shavi, which is the Kingsdale. The proper response is the same. If, if you make mistakes and you get yourself into trouble because of your sin, the response is to fight, right? And if you just happen to be going through life and trouble comes your way, you, you need to fight. We'll look at exactly how we fight here in a minute, but, but the response should be the same. You've got to notice, though, what one lifestyle leads to captivity... The other leads to slaughtering your enemies. Which one do you want to be part of? Right? What do you struggle with? Would you, would you like to slaughter that thing once and for all? That sin that so easily besets you? That, 
that thing that just keeps coming around, wouldn't you like to just get that victory and slaughter that thing once and for all? Tired of being taken captive by things. All right, so the obvious question is how? How do I fight? What do I do? He gives us the answer in verse 20. 18 through 20. Verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. All right, so what we need, obviously, is for God to deliver our enemies into our hands. How do we do that? The answer is actually in this guy's name, Melchizedek, and, and on your sheet, it's how do, you, how do you achieve peace? We're not going to have a peace treaty here because this enemy needs slaughtered. This enemy needs destroyed. We're not going to make any deals. We're not going to bargain with the enemy here. <clears throat> so this guy's name is Melchizedek. He is our actual battle tactic Look in uh, Hebrews 7, 2. It should be on the screen. To whom also Abram, Abraham uh, gave a tenth part of all. He gave a tithe. First, being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So his name means king of righteousness. His name also means king of peace, or he is the king of peace is his title. And it doesn't just give us the, the definitions here. It gives us the order that's most important. It says, first righteousness, he's first the king of righteousness, and after that, he's also the king of Salem, or, which is the king of peace. So on your, your letter A, first righteousness, and after that, peace. And righteousness and peace, if you follow that through scripture, they've got a really cool relationship. Psalm 85.10, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's kind of poetic. This, this is a Bible principle. Righteousness and peace have a very close relationship. Right? You don't get one without the other. You can't have righteousness, or you can't have peace without righteousness. You just can't have it. There's no peace until righteousness is in its proper place. Turn to James chapter 3. James 3.17 It'll be up on the, the screen if you, if you don't have it in front of you. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So first it's pure, then it's peaceable. First righteousness, and then peace. Isaiah 32 Verse 1 says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and the princes shall rule in judgment. So if the king's ruling in righteousness, look at verse 17 of that same chapter. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. The effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. If the king's ruling in righteousness. If the righteous king is on the throne... The results are peace. It follows. First John calls Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right? Isaiah says that our righteousnesses, the best that we can come up with, is filthy rags. 
right? The only true righteous king, the only one that should be on the throne is Jesus Christ. Luke 2.14, we just had Christmas. We, most likely you've heard this. Um, my buddy Tom read it from the front. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Do, do we have peace on earth? I mean, Jesus came, he promised peace, right? We don't necessarily have it yet and we don't have it because of what he said in Matthew chapter 10 hasn't happened yet either. Verse 34 says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth I came not to send peace, but a sword. Eventually there will be peace, but first, righteousness has to be set in its proper place, and it hasn't. The Bible says that every knee is going to bow eventually. Every tongue is going to confess eventually that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody is going to realize eventually that Jesus Christ is the righteous one who deserves the throne. That's not the case yet. So has Jesus come and taken his throne by force yet? No. So no peace on earth. It follows righteousness. All right, so both of these things are promises that are yet to come. They're yet to happen. All right, so here's, here's where it gets pers- personal. Last week, Kale talked about the peace that passes all understanding. We get that only from having a relationship with Christ. Only by putting Christ on the throne of your own personal life do you achieve that peace that passes understanding. So for those of you that don't know, the Bible teaches us there's only one way to righteousness. It's it's through Jesus Christ. He's the, the way, the truth, and the life, it says in John. There's only one way to heaven. And the way to do that is by recognizing what the Bible says about you, what the Bible says about Christ, and how you must react to that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, that's all of us, myself included, but come short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin, what you get, what you deserve because of your sin is death. That death is a separation. It's eternal separation from Christ. But the good news is right after. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ the righteous. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's promised it through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Romans 10.9 and 10 That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. We just watched a video of some of the kids getting baptized and they said, you know, I wanted to know what it, what, what it took to be saved. I wanted to know how to be saved and they kept saying that. This is what it means. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that alone is what saves you from your sins that demand a penalty, demand a payment, that's the only way. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you want peace in any battle, you've got to have peace with God first. Right? You have to start with you and God. You have to recognize three things. First, you're a sinner and your sin has made you God's enemy. It's just a fact. Second, you have to recognize that, that God isn't asking you to clean up your life 
and get clean so that then he can accept you. Our works don't get us there. Only what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins is enough because only Jesus Christ, the righteous, was enough to pay that, that penalty for everybody. And third, you need to ask him to forgive you. And basically what you're doing by, by asking him to forgive you, you're putting him on the throne of your life. You're putting him in the position of authority of your life saying, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say. Whatever you want me to quit, I'll quit. I need your help. I ask you to forgive me. Help me. All right, so some of you might say, what? Well, I've, already, I've already done that. But I still don't have any peace. I still struggle with this sin and that sin. The answer is back in our, our text in, in Genesis. Genesis 14 again. Verse 20, and, ble- and blessed be the most high God, this is Melchizedek talking, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abram, gave him tithes of all. He went and slaughtered these kings, and he rescued his nephew, and he had all of this loot and all of this stuff that he took from him, and he offered a tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek, I mean, he's, he's receiving one-tenth. The purpose of a, of a tithe, the, the purpose of an offering, it's worship, isn't it? That's the reason. He, he understands that Melchizedek is, is the priest of the Most High God. And in order to worship God who delivered his enemies into his hand, he, just, he gives a tithe and a worship offering to Melchizedek to give to God. It, he's giving God what God deserves. It's the same thing when we get saved. You're showing God that he's more important, he's of more value than your stuff, he's of more value than, than your distractions, he's of more strength than your struggles. You're giving him authority and putting him on the throne. 1 Corinthians 1.29 That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So here's the answer. You want to you get over those problems? You want to stop sinning? You want to stop that cycle? Give God what you owe him. And I'm not talking financial. This isn't a, a plead for your tithe. This is personally, between you and God, what do you owe him? You owe him the throne of your heart. It's the same as when you get saved, you say, God, help me, take control, I need you. Oh, God, I'm struggling with sin, help me, take control, I need you because I can't fix it. Only Christ the righteous, only when righteousness is set in its proper place does peace follow. Only when righteousness, when the righteous king is on the throne, do you get to conquer the enemy because you can't do it on your own. John 10, 10. The thief, I'm oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. So we give, give him what we owe him. This, this brings us, we've seen the battles uh, that are part of our Christian life. We've seen how to react and how to achieve peace by putting righteousness where it belongs, and, and this will bring us to the real battle. Because honestly, that struggle, that cycle, it's nothing but a distraction. There's a real battle that, that needs to take place, and we all need to be a part of it, 
And if we're just struggling with the things that our flesh wants to do, or just struggling with not doing the things that our flesh wants to do, and that's the only thing we focus on, then we miss the point. We miss the purpose, we miss the mission. Back in Genesis 14, verse 21, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Did you see what the king of Sodom said? Remember what that place is. Sodom is the place of sin. The king of Sodom says, give me the persons, take the goods to thyself. He's offering to trade the souls of men for stuff. He's offering, he wants the souls of men, and he'll give you distractions, and he'll give you toys, and he'll give you trouble, and he'll give you trials. As long as you don't care about the souls of men. Melchizedek is an obvious picture of Christ here. He comes with with bread and wine. His name means king of righteousness. His title is king of peace. That's Jesus in this story. So who's the king of the place of sin? Obviously that's Satan. That's the enemy. The one who rules the place of sin, Sodom. He wants to trade the souls of your lost friends and family, your co-workers. He wants to, to trade that for anything he can get you to focus on. Anything at all. Letter A, the the enemy is seeking souls. The enemy is seeking souls. Now we come to John 10.10. John 10.10 says the thief, that's Satan, and this is Jesus speaking here, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. There's a promise of an abundant Christian life. There's a promise of living this life the way God intended it. The reason Christ came wasn't just to save you from your miserable self. It was to save you from your miserable self and to live an abundant Christian life that was fulfilling, that was conquering sin, that was winning those battles all the time. But the thief... The thief is there. We've got to know those battles are there. The, the enemy is, is lurking. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He's describing Satan here. He says he's seeking to steal. He's seeking to steal your peace by giving you things to worry about and things to fear. How many of you watch the news and, and ISIS is all over the news? That's pretty scary stuff. But are we going to pay attention to that and that alone is... Is the news going to keep our attention and keep our focus? He's seeking to kill your motivation to serve Christ by making you motivated to serve yourself, to seek your selfish desires. If if that's your motivation, to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, you're distracted. He's, He's killed your motivation. He's killed your drive for Christ. And he's also seeking to destroy. The third thing he says he's seeking to destroy, he's seeking to destroy your representation of the name of Christ. He wants people to look at you and think, Jesus is like that. Not that you're trying to be like Jesus. He wants, 
people to look at you and say, wow, Jesus sure is selfish. He gets upset about everything. Right? He, wants, he wants people to look at you and say, Jesus doesn't love anybody, does he? He's seeking to destroy the name of Christ, and he wants you to do it for him. He wants to use us to do it. He's seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy. You want to know what taking the, names, the name of the Lord in vain means? It's, it's not a swear word. It's claiming to be a Christian and showing everybody that Jesus has no power. No power to change you, no power to help you, no power to control your life because you're in control. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. All right. So how are we gonna react to this battle? This is the most important battle. The other battles are distractions. We've gotta do well there, obviously, or you don't even get in on this battle. If you're distracted by self and the flesh and the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, you don't even see that there's people all around you that don't know Christ and they need to know him. This is the battle that really matters. Satan's goal, like we said, is to keep you from ever concerning yourself with this at all. We'll finish up here in, in Mark chapter 10 in a minute. Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging, and he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man and saying, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Back a few verses, notice what he says, what he calls Jesus. When he hears Jesus is coming his way, this is a man who's been blind, he can't see, he's got to just sit there and beg for help. He's begging for somebody to give him money. He hears Jesus is on the way. Jesus has obviously been doing miracles. Word has spread. His fame has spread. And blind Bartimaeus hears Jesus is coming and he says, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. What's the significance of that? He's in Israel. There's Jews everywhere. The son of David. David was the king. He just put Jesus in the lineage of the kings. He just said, Jesus Christ... You are royalty. You belong on the throne. Jesus Christ the righteous. You're the king. That's what he's saying, isn't he? And did you see the response from the crowd? They told him that he should hold his peace. Righteousness and peace go hand in hand. And his response is beautiful. It doesn't get any better. When you're trying to put the king on the throne and somebody says, hold your peace, how do you answer? 
he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. You're the king. You're the authority. You're on the throne, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. And when righteousness reigns, then I'll have peace. Then I'll keep quiet. But righteousness isn't on the throne, and I won't be quiet. And I'll cry the more. Jesus Christ, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You want victory over sin? You want peace? You want to defeat and destroy the enemy? Righteousness has to be on the throne. It has to. Jesus Christ has to rule personally in your life and mine if you're going to have peace. Until the day that he comes back and he takes it by force, there won't be eternal peace. There can't be peace until he's on the throne. We have to put him there. He deserves it. That's his position. That's where he belongs. Every time anybody came face to face with God, they were face to face with the ground. Because the only place you're comfortable in front of a holy God is on your face as low as you can possibly get. It's his throne. It's his glory. It's his name that we represent. He deserves all glory. His name. Letter B, don't hold your peace when righteousness is not on the throne. There's too much at stake. That's the battle. Satan says, give me the souls of your friends, I'll give you stuff. Satan says, don't worry about your friends because you've got too many things to worry about in your own life. Life is too hard right now. It's okay, somebody else will share the gospel. It's too important. We're talking eternal value here, not not day-to-day struggles. This is the real battle. Let's look again at the end of Mark chapter 10 there. Jesus heals Bartimaeus. He's, He's saying, go about your business. He's saying, go thy way, right? Go about your business. Get on with your life. Notice his reaction, where he actually goes. It says he followed Jesus in the way. Jesus says, you go thy way. Bartimaeus, by his action, says, but, but you're the king. Your way is my way. I go where you go. And he followed Jesus in the way. That should be our response. So in the final analysis, how do you know if righteousness rules your life? How do you know if you even stand a chance to get victory? First, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by asking him to forgive you and him alone to forgive you of your sins, making him the king of your life? Have you done that? Second, if you've done that, ask yourself, do I have peace? Have I won those victories? Am I still fighting day to day? And and you probably don't have to ask very long. You know if you are. Men, what's, what's your focus? What are you struggling with? Do you, can you balance? I mean, it's, it's great to be a driven man. But are you content? You can balance that. You can be driven by what God drives you to do. Or are you just never satisfied and 
and always unhappy with who you see in the mirror. Ladies, how many things are you worried about right now? Lunch and who's coming over later and it's it's natural. It's natural for us to struggle with the things we struggle with, but do we have peace? Middle school, high schoolers? Who is the focus of your attention and your decisions? Why do you do what you do? Who do you want to impress the most? Why do you make the decisions you make? Is it because Christ is on the throne of your life and you just want to please him? Or are you worried about somebody, several somebodies at school, what they think, what they see, what they're going to say? How about this? How do you react when somebody approaches your throne? How do you react when somebody cuts you off on the road, guys? Hopefully better than me. How do you react when, when your boss, who you're clearly smarter than, gives you a really stupid assignment? How do you react, guys, when somebody approaches the throne? That tells you who's on the throne. Ladies, how, how do you react when your husband or your, or your, your best friend doesn't, doesn't love you the way you think they should love you? They don't give you the affection or the attention you think and maybe you absolutely deserve it. I, I believe you do. But what if they don't give it? How do you react? Kids, what happens when mom and dad say no? Who do you become at that moment? What about your teachers? Because, you know, we're, we know you're all smarter than them, right? What if, I, if your teacher says no? Who do you become when somebody steps close to your throne uninvited, do you give them the thumbs down, instant death? Or is Jesus already on the throne and it doesn't matter who approaches because he can take care of it? He can handle those situations. He can win my victories. We started off talking about battles. Life is full of battles. We saw the battle strategy, it's, it's righteousness on the throne, no matter what the fight is. But there's a promise of victory. There's a promise that you can slaughter your enemies. Your flesh can be crucified. He says to do it, it can be done. And it's obviously only, only done through him. Back in Romans 7, we started off looking at, at Paul's description of this battle of the flesh versus the spirit and, and what I feel inside and, and how I'm dealing with that and, and how it comes back at me and I want to do these things and, man, I just don't do those. I failed. And I know I don't want to do those things, but I find myself doing that all the time. And, and he comes and he says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's a part of me. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's struggling with peace. He's struggling with victory. He's fighting against the flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. That's who. On the throne, in position, where he has control, he fixes us from the inside out, doesn't he? We try to do it ourselves and and fail, and that's where the frustrating cycle goes. But when he's on the throne, he does something inside. When I first got saved, when I gave my life to Christ, I got a huge dose of common sense. I stopped doing these stupid things that were just destroying my life. I stopped chasing after these girls that had no idea who Christ was. I stopped buying things that put me in incredible debt. I got really smart all of a sudden. No, Jesus Christ came in on the inside and he started changing me from there. Because I said, whatever you want to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whoever you want me to talk to, whatever, wherever, whenever, it's yours. This throne, shabby as it may be, is yours. You do what you want to do. And he changed me from the inside out. I didn't come to him and and promise that I would fix everything before I did anything. He fixed it. He did it. He's faithful. He's powerful. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He needs to be on the throne. Let's go ahead and pray.